Hello. Hello. Happy Sunday. Are we episode 20 here? We're doing a little cheers. cheers You're drinking a glassine of wine. What are you drinking? Glassine of coffee. We're at different times of the day, so or copying a coffee. So touch the mic. Touch the mic. Clink. Clink. There you Ooh. go. That works. It's crystal glass you got <laughs> there. Again. Three, two, one. <laughs> so the finale of Saison Uno. I don't know what that was, just made up language, season one. <laughs> <laughs> you mixed a few languages there. <laughs> Congratulations. We got this far. Yeah, well done, well done. And, and cheers to anyone that's listening in. And pr- cheers to anyone else cheers. that got this far, yeah. <laughs> and a double cheers if you've actually listened to all the episodes. You know, shout outs to you. Shout outs to if you. Wanna, well done. If you want to get in contact and let us know, we, we see the, the, the people listening to lots of episodes. We don't know who's the, the same listeners. Uh, shout outs to you if you uh, have listened to them all. If you yeah, want to get in touch with Mark, he'll... He'll confuse you towards the end of the podcast exactly how you should go about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. wait until then. We'll save <laughs> wait until then. Wait until then. Right, well, uh, what's, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're just going to wrap things up and... Yep. Maybe say, reflect on where we've come from, reflect on why we're doing this in the first place, and then say on say a bit about where we ended up. Yeah. Um, do you want to say something just before we kind of, because we kind well, of talked about the yeah. the the uh, jujitsu stuff mostly last time around, and yeah. we're saying this one will be more oriented towards uh, wrapping up the you could be able to design into things. Yeah. But so do I you think want there's to not much left uh, on the jiu-jitsu stuff. Obviously, the world, it's a bit trying for everyone around the world. And jiu-jitsu is probably, you know, depending on where you're at and you're doing it slightly differently than you might have been in 2019. Uh, your frequency might be changed. But hopefully, things improve. For for us, I don't need to reiterate what we said in, in the last episode, stacked. Shout-outs episode stacked. But we went through, you know maybe a, a hierarchy of things we can kind of start to to hit conceptually together with our game and our training. Uh, and one of the things we talked about was breathing. And I kind of, I, I said at the time, oh, I think my breathing's kind of good. And you pointed out to me, well, maybe it's not. And <laughs> the, <laughs> since then, I've really realized it's not as like, it's terrible. And all I had to do was think about Hicks and Gracie and, choke if you haven't seen choke and you're doing jiu-jitsu even if you don't do jiu-jitsu it's probably a uh, worthwhile looking at it you find it on youtube it's a documentary about him and his training i think for pride back in the day and uh he does a lot of breathing in it and you can see like how important breathing was to him and when was that 20 years ago so so explain a bit about some of the breeding he does or like i i can i can remember him kind of like sitting on a beach doing yeah yeah stuff well that's what he does like and i don't know how he describes it but he he does a lot of like full body movement he was like his whole abdomen is kind of moving in and out and he's like getting you know uh fast breath work now I suppose it's something to do with the oxygen in his blood i don't know why he was doing it but it's readying his body for combat or for training 
And I think all of the Gracie family do it. I know Crone talks about it as well, that breeding is a big thing in his, his MMA training. So obviously there's a lot more there than I was given a credit for saying I had my breeding perfected. <laughs> so it's funny, yeah. like, so there's a lot of work to do there. And now I'm not saying I'm just going to go out and start doing like Hicks and just sit on the beach and start doing some mad abdomen stuff. But there's okay, obviously... Well, I was gonna say you have some of those weird abdomen weird skills. I can do, as it is. but I, like, yeah, but I don't know why. Why I take control of your breath? <laughs> yeah, but if you talk about anyone high in these sports, you know, breathing is a big thing. I know Steve Maxwell, one of the first American black belts, and he's under one of the Gracies too. He is a a lot of. He's even got a course on breathing. You know, mm. so there's probably something to dig into there, as well as you know some other things we've encountered recently. There's a I can't remember his name. Uh, the guy that does the Irish dude, Patrick McKeown, he talks about uh, breathing and, and not mouth breathing, you know, just nose breathing in and out and all of the benefits of that. He actually talks about mouth taping so that you can just breathe through your nose at nighttime, which I tried for one night and you're just breathing in and out through your nose. It's It's a weird sensation at first because you're, you feel like you're short on breath. You feel like you can't get breath into your lungs quick enough uh, through your nose. But man, the dreams. So the stuff to look at there. And I think his thing is about in his coaching with, with athletes, he's big on nose breathing. And he, 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 he talks in one of the podcasts I listened to him talk about is uh, he watches MMA fighters in between rounds, like heavy mouth breathing. And I was watching it last night. The UFC was on Covington and uh, Woodley. And they try and breathe through their nose, at least in, but they're all exhaling through their mouths. Now, I'm not an expert, but this guy, Patrick McCohen, speaks about doing both in and out through the nose and it'll slow down everything. It's probably easier said than done when you're in the middle of a UFC fight, you know? But well, do you ever try it where in between rounds yourself... Like, not only say breathe through your nose and exhale through your nose, but really try and slow down the breath, right? Because your body's saying, your body's saying, I demand this much much oxygen because I'm running at this pace, and it seems like we're going to be running at this pace for a while. Whereas you can kind of intervene with the breath and kind of consciously uh, intervene on what is otherwise an autonomic system by using the breath and slowing down. But it's really it's a weird one. So I try it in between rounds and you slow down your breathing beyond the point which your body seems to be demanding it. And you're not out of breath, but your body's kind of going into a panic. And if you just sit with the panic, uh, it'll kind of dissipate and mm. you can actually really slow it down. I was very uncomfortable, but it's not like your body actually needs that additional oxygen. It's just telling you it does. Yeah. because it thinks it's going to require it on an ongoing basis. But once you're stopped and once you're not um, yeah. you know, training hard or whatever and you're recovering, I think you can intervene. And I, and I think that's the logic. Like I'm obviously no expert here in this either, but from what I understand, like maybe we talked about this before, but like the, say the four in, eight out, that kind of standard parasympathetic, you know, response, like the, the breath pattern there, like when you breathe out slowly, seemingly, as I understand it, there's, well, there obviously is, but there's sensors in the lungs and they somehow mediate 
this parasympathetic response, right? Because you wouldn't be breathing slowly if you're in the context of a say fight or flight situation. Mm. Like you wouldn't, your your body would be reacting in a different way. So by consciously evoking this kind of parasympathetic response, which is a slow breath, you're sending the signal to everything else in your body that, okay, we're in a relaxed situation. We don't need to panic. Mm. Um, and you're working against whatever else is going on there. And you're, I suppose, engaged in that recovery system. Yeah. I think that that is why you would breathe, right? Either that or you want to move in the opposite direction. And I know like within pranayama, say, they'll do, and that's the stuff that Hickson does on the beach where he does like a breath of fire where you're like breathing hard, hard exhales. Um, that's having the opposite effect, right? Where you're moving from a more relaxed state into a, state of higher adrenaline or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, to, to think about how best to utilize that within jujitsu. I mm. tried one roll with the mouth taped. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. How did that go down? It worked fine for me, but Rob was freaked out because he was like, dude, you look so scared because I had tape all around my head, just around the mouth. And I think it freaked Rob out of it. <laughs> Shout out to but, Rob. Uh, but um, yeah, it was fine. Like I, I, I wasn't panicking for breath or anything. <laughs> if you're going to try this in your own jiu-jitsu club, maybe give them the heads up before you uh, do the mouth taping. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking though, like uh, you know, you can get those little mouth things that slow the breath down. Might be interesting to um, uh, to mess yeah. with one of them for a roll. I just just try and keep your mouth closed is probably the easiest thing. Yeah, it took me you now five or six weeks and I still mm. couldn't do it. Well, not five or six weeks. Since the last time we had this conversation, however many rolls, five or six times, I guess. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't remind myself to do it. <laughs> I just kept forgetting about it until I wrapped it. Can you, what about putting yourself in a panic? Right, if I didn't try this to get used to, put yourself in panic situations and try and breathe through your nose. Try and have a cold shower in the morning. Mm. but only breathe through your nose. Mm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or that's what yoga is, right? I mean, that is what yoga is. It's like, okay, put yourself into a deep stretch where it's very uncomfortable. And when you're in there, turn on the parasympathetic response by breathing deeply. So Interesting. So uh, there we go. There's loads to do there. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, you, this is an art in itself and you can practice it forever. Yeah. So you know, like learning like how to said. modulate your nervous system response through conscious breathing. <laughs> so I think the point you made in the last episode, you know, ra- you know, the getting these things right, these concepts down, you rather than trying to end up as an expert in one of them, it's probably good to ro- rotate through them, you know? Yeah, so definitely. once you've kind of handled on this, you don't want to be the best breather in, in on the mats, <laughs> but no technique. <laughs> not know how to stop people passing your guard I just imagine like sitting there doing that kind of breath of fire like rolling and rolling the abdomen left right and centre massaging all the organs get out many the training partners <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 good, I know. yeah with your mouth I taped <laughs> with your mouth taped yeah, yeah. like who's your man <laughs> but uh it wouldn't make any sense either right so I guess yeah yeah, that idea cycling through and, and realizing that it is probably an art in itself that 
you know, even a, just being conscious of it and introducing it into what you're doing, you know, you're getting the ball rolling and then you can keep coming back to it. Mm. And the right. other ones, uh, so, the other ones are on. probably going to be easier to like remind yourself of, right? Because mm. they're more directly related to ex- exactly what you're doing. What's you're being confronted yeah. with the other principles. Yeah. So we're going to keep plugging away. So I think it's good now to reflect on eco behavioral design. You know, I suppose when we set out to do this, there was two things going on. One, you had been playing with this uh, idea and what we've kind of talked about now is a practice of eco-behavioral design, which is kind of your idea. Um, it crosses over with others' ideas, um, but, you know, the way you laid it out and all the different analogies you used and using the garden analogy and whatnot was really uh, helpful for me. And I think it's a good idea to... Um, reflect on it because i think as well as me trying to win the world masters which may might happen next year uh we also wanted to hone this in for you so that you would be able to condense it down to something simpler and to maybe understand it better yourself so maybe just talk to that and then we can maybe go through it a little bit so how do you feel about eco behavioral design now versus when we started this journey yeah i suppose like you know not to be too philosophical but like anything you spend a bit of time on i i see i see it get it grow and become more complex but also aspects of it become more simple so i suppose that's to say i see it within a larger context which is interesting philosophically but I think that, yeah, I think, I don't know if I've done a good job, but we've definitely definitely done some job of distilling it down to something that's much more workable. Like the goal for us, or for me, at least with, with this, was to get a set of analogies that work well together, that can kind of help me convey what I'm trying to convey. And, you know, properly arrange the ideas into some sort of systemic understanding. And um, I think we've done all that. Like if we went back and listened to all the podcasts that we did do and consider the preparation that was done for each of them and, you know, what emerged from each of them, like there was a lot of insight generation. There was a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I'm emerging now with definitely a better sense of, how this thing stacks up and I still, I still think there's a lot of work to do in terms of like bringing it to a, a, a public audience, but I'm definitely at the place where I'd be more confident about say setting up a blog to, to actually start doing that and thinking to myself, well, I've all the bases covered, so I could probably answer, answer most of the questions that are going to come my way. Yep. So like, you know, maybe it's good to, you know, because it was very wide. I, I didn't know what you were talking about at the start. And maybe let's just, between us, kind of talk to it and, and how it's simplified now. Maybe I'll start just because I'm sitting opposite you and see how I would explain it to somebody and see how, how close I land. But yeah, okay. for yeah, me, the, the uh, I think it's... And this is just going to, I had some realization in chatting with you, like some of the greatest insights I got into this, and you know, this is probably like preaching to the choir, but 
were based on the analogies. Like it made me realize how important analogies are. And like mm. the garden analogy, like you could have this whole idea, but not been able to mm. analogize it <laughs> is you'd be left wanting. So mm. it, it made me think about how important analogies are and people that don't use them should really look to use them. And there is, I know Nick Winkleman, there's a PhD, he's the Irish rugby uh, coach and he talks about the language of coaching mm. and he, he he has a chapter on analogies, but you know I even know him with my own coaches. When when analogies are used, they really help you understand things a lot more. And it's something that you're not really taught, is it? Like you're not taught to analogize, and you're not taught about how to create analogies. You know, it's something you just always see in like good leaders that oh these guys simplify things and it's usually because they're they're good at creating analogies like do you spend a lot of time in in your phd no well now you're finished it just awaiting the old piece of paper so cheers to that shouts out shouts out do you want to spend Uh, a lot of time analogizing or or trying to ensure that you're creating good analogies like the garden analogy for eco-behavioral design for instance yeah well, this is a <laughs> this is a very rich question. Uh, I won't go. But like, go did, did you ever get taught how to uh, create analogies, or is that something you learned that was important in your own studies? I I said more the latter, but there's definitely an acknowledgement of the place of analogy and analogizing, and I think it sums that all philosophical work is kind of analogizing, right? Because we're not grasping yet the real as such it's always exists in some space of language and you're always trying to use metaphor and analogy to bring people closer to an understanding that maybe you think you already have or something i think the challenge with analogizing is that some will work for some and not for others but something like the garden for instance we're all so familiar with that and the processes therein and all of that that it just has a kind of universal validity in a, in a sense your man Winkleman, I think he'd be, by the way, if people don't know him, you should search him out. What was his first name? Nick. Mick. Nick. Nick. N-I-C-K. Winkleman, the language coaching, Irish rugby. The coach. The co- coaching Irish The rugby. language of coaching, is it? That's, he has a book. I haven't read the book, but I heard him on a podcast that you sent to me. Yeah, and he, he, he goes into a bit of the kind of ecological psychology that we've talked about in the past and has that frame. But... Yeah, for people who don't know him, definitely worth checking out if they're interested in this kind of stuff. But I think he said it, or maybe it's just something I've heard often enough. But it's it's like any any good teaching, right? You have to go to meet the person with the analogies that are going to work for them. So, you know, if you're talking to I don't know a bunch of agricultural people in rural Ireland, if you're a good politician, for instance, you're going to use analogies that are reflective of their life experience and that allows them to connect. Yeah. And uh, the same is true in any, I suppose, situation of communication, right? If you have the analogies that are already part of someone's life, because what does an analogy do? A lot of the time is it, it demonstrates a set of relationships that might be complex. And if you, try to overlay some novel set of relationships on a novel experience that you're only kind of receiving there and then maybe you don't have the 
kind of memorial capacity to do that in an instant. But if you have an analogy that already reflects those relationships and then you go, well, it's like that, then you're just already carting across an understanding that you already have kind of sedimented elsewhere. Mm. Well, that's why you have a lot, a lot of um, analogies that are kind of are very commonplace are the most relatable analogies to the wider audience. And maybe because they're so often used, they, they might be, uh, have lost their impact. And that's why more specific, relatable analogies, you know, taught out a little bit more are probably better. It's hard to, um, it's hard because they're very much, you, I find like analogies are often like set on the spot. So you kind of almost have to have like a, a backlog you should like you know i always think about like things that should be taught in school and i know in our school coming coming up you know we didn't have much debating or public speaking you know these are and these are very very uh, important things um, well think about it what were they preparing us for in in our schools in west clare i mean they had a very say a set of potential career options for us that probably didn't involve that much public speaking or debating certainly not debating <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, come on, a bit of public speaking. Sure, did you think none of us were going to be ever at a wedding or in a, in a crowd? <laughs> like, they were very low hopes. Uh, I think think that's true, though, right? We're, it's not that they're low hopes, but there are a certain set of careers that we were been guided towards. And public speaking. <laughs> yeah, they weren't expecting us to be fucking politicians, like. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. Uh, no, the, the, the school reflects a kind of economic yeah. situation. And there were community colleges, techs, you know, it's like a technical college. You're there yeah. to fucking upskill as a, you know, as a. Yeah, yeah. Don't be getting ahead of the public speaking there, bud. Exactly. <laughs> who, who is this for? I suppose if you wanted to probably speak enough, you could just go and do it. But anyways, we're getting a bit of a sidetrack. But the point is, yeah, I think the, the garden analogy for me. So when I talk about it, if someone asked me now about eco-behavior design, I would say, right, well, it's a practice first and foremost. So it's, and if you have goals and you want to orient towards something, it's it's some some kind of a setup or a framework to use. So if I wanted to, you know, maybe not use the world's masters, if I wanted to be run I'm an Iron an Ironman next year. I might uh, obviously have an idea about that, and I'd orient myself towards it, and I would try and understand what is required to get there. And it's obviously you know, maybe good cardio. It's you know whatever it is, good diet, whatever. Uh, and I would have behaviors that are required to do that, and then I would try and design my environment in a way that made that those vital behaviors likely, and and the outcome would just result from it. So. I would have some constraints, which would be enabling. So they might be uh, ensuring I had parts of the day freed up to do this thing. And I would remove limiting constraints, which might be, you know, having work hours that extend beyond daylight or something like that. So I try and set it up and then I would, you know, go about my business and then slowly at first with, with little things, and trying to get those uh, seed habits propagated and you know be very protective of them at the time get them going get them flown and just build on from there and if things started to fall over you know redesign uh, don't feel guilt or shame about it understand that i am a system and if something's not working in the system 
then I just need to iterate the design a little bit more. Don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when something doesn't work. These things are fragile, and 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 understand it is just a a slight design, a change change of design that's required versus you know me not being able to achieve it. So that's it, and just kind of like having it as part of my 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 lifestyle. And I probably do that now as well. Like you know, it's not like I'm thinking eco behavior design, but I think probably a lot better in those terms now than I would have last year. And mm. like I say, I'm still active every day. And for me, it's just getting out and getting moving, keeping, keeping that, the habit of moving up, uh, even if I am not doing jujitsu every day because of the current environment. So I was, that was kind of like where I'm at with it. And we can maybe talk through the different stages again, or go through an elevator pitch, maybe a more condensed version of that. Do you want to try something like that now? Well, let me just say that was, obviously reflects a good understanding at this point for your for yourself and you know how far you've no, come in relationship just I didn't, want to go, I didn't want to go through everything i know i've left little bits out but that's kind of the general yeah 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 my my, my feeling is like say so for if you're making the elevator pitch and someone says okay what is eco behavioral di- design no i haven't thought through this this is kind of shooting from the cuff but i think that a good starting point because people will be able to relate to it is that right we very often know what the outcomes are we desire um and we think we know how to get to to them but actually we don't have a good grasp on how we make change right and we don't have a good grasp on what goes wrong when we can't change and we don't have a good grasp on the practice of change Right, and so eco behavioral design is, in a sense, what would you say? It it is kind of oblivious, no, not oblivious, but it's it's a neutral about what it is that you want to change, but provides a a systematic practice for how to make change mm-hmm. when desired, and um, you know it it unfolds then in in the four phases so you have the design the distillation phase the design phase the propagation phase and the planting out phase and within that the basic analogy and the primary analogy is that of the seed right and what you're attempting to do is effectively cultivate behaviors and this gets into you know what you were saying about removing the shame and the guilt because you start to see yourself differently right and and if you think about the seed and how that relates to that insight, you might ask, or you might say that if we plant a seed, right, and it doesn't grow, we don't say there was something wrong with the seed. We straight away, we can acknowledge that there was something not right about the conditions that didn't allow for the growth of the seed in this occasion. So what yeah. do we change? As long as it's native, right? As long as it's something that would or should work well within these conditions, we say, okay, we, we need to modify this. We need to modify that. It doesn't, it's not getting enough sun. It's not getting enough light. It's not getting enough water or shelter or whatever it is. And eco-behavioral design is, is an attempt to kind of reframe our approach to change in behavior in those terms, remove our kind of intuitive assumptions about what it means to behave and change behavior and, and all that and view ourselves more in lines with the seed, right? So we don't see ourselves as having the issue, right? We see ourselves as relational and always embedded in this context. And if we want to see the emergence of something more reliably, the likelihood is that we need to change something about the context. And that context can include things like, 
your own personal skills or you know maybe a way of thinking things or a theoretical frame or something like that but generally it's we need to make changes to our environment and do them in a particular way so whether you could be able to design those across the four phases is really articulate what are the phases of change and uh, how to best bring it about and the value of it is like I said, it shows you how, but also shows you how to make the adjustments and gives you some sense of what might have been going wrong if things haven't been changing for you. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. The there's, I think this is an emerging understanding, right? So you see books like Tiny Habits or Clear Habits, or there's another guy I was just listening to recently who's brilliant. What did I say? Clear Habits. James Clear, yeah, yeah, Atomic Habits. There's another guy who people should check out. He has a book called How We Change. I think his name is something Edelhorn. I should should have that, but yeah, How We Change. And then I just listened to another guy on Rich Roll's podcast recently, and he was talking, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Rangan something or other is a British doctor, and he was talking about the five five-minute health snacks or something. And his whole kind of recognition was something similar, right? We have, a, we have all the information. It's not more information we need about like what we should be doing. And if we just did half of what we know we should be doing, we'd all be in, in, in better order. And I mean that collectively as well as individually, not just like with respect to you know, our individual personal habits and goals and so on. The problem is, we tend towards sameness, right? That is how we're constructed. We're constructed to maintain an, an existing identity unless things change radically around us and we need to change. So given that tendency towards sameness and understanding that, how can we leverage it? And how can we move it about and change it? Mm. And, and, you know, that is a positive recognition, right? That actually is not just more information we need. It's more understanding of the type of thing that's changing because there's something, I don't know, there's something really rich about that. It's like all of a sudden you can take your own development and evolution consciously into your own person, right? And I mean, as long as it's oriented towards things that are um, not destructive or whatever, that should, (laughs) you would assume that should be a good thing. Mm. But yeah, that that how, not the what, I think is is an important distinction. Mm. and uh you know you can you cannot do eco behavioral design and still figure out this stuff like every one of those people mentioned have their own frameworks i would say you know i would have a lot to critique them about in terms of their understanding of the psychology and so on and i don't think they provide that kind of robust understanding of what's going wrong when things do go wrong in the way that I think the eco-behavioral design perspective and the, and the philosophical frameworks that support it can. But like we're talking about analogies, right? For people who are into ecological metaphors or metaphors or systems or, you know, eco-behavioral design is going to be perfect. If you're the kind of person who likes a big overview before you start to go into the details, eco-behavioral design is going to be perfect. If you're the kind of person who... Yeah, needs that systemic appreciation before they can go into the components because they want to understand how the component relates to the system. Eco-behavioral design is going to be perfect. But if you're the kind of person who just wants a quick fix, 
right? And you just have a simple habit and you just, someone like James Clear might might be a lot better, right? Because you don't have the same demand on you to learn this this kind of practice. And that's why I think about eco-behavioral design as a practice, right? Because it's 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 something that becomes very integrated with your life and you can do more of it, you can do less of it, but it's it's something that you're constantly refining and developing and just kind of having systematized that and seeing it as a practice and seeing it as something that you study, you know, in the same way that you might study, you know, uh, if you kind of recognize that, like, the how is as important as the what, right? Well, before you go doing any more what's, <laughs> actually it might be good Yeah. Bef- good to understand the how because the how is going to inform every what thereafter so before um, i start doing some zazen in the morning i need to understand how i'm going to do it yeah and before <laughs> you say attempt to take on another behavior change like starting zazen practice it would be good to understand how you change your behavior because then you're more likely to take on the zazen practice and build that in and yeah. after that build on top of that you know, and that, that, that's also part of the recognition of what the value is. Like, I, I, I think, say, any approach to, say, the improvement or betterment of, say, someone's psychological well-being or even physiological well-being, but psychological in this instance, right, we normally think about that as uh, Shinzen Young uses a nice analogy. He talks about, we either talk about, say, a trickle-down approach or a drudging-up approach. When we think about psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic practices or languages or counseling or that kind of thing where you know the classic image of someone sitting on a couch and having some sort of discourse with a therapist and you know them trying to uncover unveil things about their past so that they can reconstruct this narrative and so on right that's the kind of drudging up right and we can get better because of that and that's necessary to our development but there's also other approaches, right? And, you know, you might include something like psychedelics in that trudging up approach or, you know, there's other things you might include. The, the trickle-down approach as well where, you know, you're developing this set of skills that allow you to better self-regulate, like something like mindfulness or breathing, right? These are also helpful psychological tools. But my feeling <clears throat> has been and is that actually, you know, primary and maybe even before any of them and actually valuable to them is the is the is the how how do we change in the first place right because you can know that you should do a breathing practice daily but if you can't build it in as a habit effectively you're not going to actually reap the benefits of that practice you can know that you should be going to therapy and following up on your exercises that the therapist gives you but if you can't build them in as a practice that's not going to be beneficial either right so my my feeling is that the how is always vital to anything thereafter. And that's why I would say it's also valuable to, well, we're getting off a bit off topic, but I would say it's valuable at all levels, right? It's it's always going to be valuable. So it's a good starting point for me. Mm. And yeah, like I say, it's a practice. It's something that's always going to be there. You're always going to be changing. You're always going to be adapting. You're always going to want to develop in a particular route. I mean, whether that's self-development, whether that's the development of your, say, artistic output, whether that's the development of uh, learning a language or having the crack. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, do we all 
habituate, build into our lives the crack in this in the way that maybe we could if we thought about it. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's good. That's my that's pitch for the value of of, of the practice, yeah. I guess. Okay, well, um, we leave it there. Yeah, so just tell people what we're thinking with regards to the, like we've we mentioned before. Yeah. yeah, but we're probably going to take a bit of a break for a few months, isn't that yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we have a we have this other project that we mentioned, the Spartner. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll we have to mention the Spartner. So, well, maybe now's a good uh, time. All right, look up <laughs> if you want to see what we're doing between now and the next season. Follow at the Spartner on Instagram. All will be revealed there. I don't think we need to go into any more details than that. Okay, you're a mad cryptic cryptic salesman okay sure look we'll we'll uh and and, and we'll burn that bridge when we get to it <laughs> like when you talk about metaphors yeah malaphors are my favorite oh yeah yeah malaphors. that's that's the other one. uh there's a lot of them but uh it's not rocket it's not rocket surgery we'll burn that bridge when we get to it yeah, so we're going to be taking a bit of a break. We we talked before about ideas for season two. We don't have a timeline when that's going to kick off. That It'll kick off when the time is right. So don't unsubscribe from this podcast. Keep us in your feed. And, uh, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, we, we get back in with season two on a, on a different subject matter like we, we discussed. But yeah, between now and then, if you want to see what we're up to, we're, we're developing a bit of a product. Follow at the Spartner. T-H-E-S-P-A-R-T-N-E-R on Instagram. But outside from that, we'll, um, we'll, we'll see you for season two. And much appreciated, as we said at the start of the podcast. Many, many thanks to anyone that's, you know, obviously it takes time to do this podcast, but that was our choice. Uh, you guys, whoever's listening has, has, has given up their time. There's lots of podcasts and there's only so much time people have in their day. So it's really, uh, we're really grateful that you would uh, give us your time and listen to this so hopefully we've justified that choice by you guys so many thanks and um yeah that's that's all i have to say so thanks again do you want to leave any parting words uh, no just uh, get in touch if you're interested um <laughs> you can get me on <laughs> eco behave designs at gmail.com oh my god I I, I can't believe you got it wrong again <laughs> I only I'm only taking the piss Eric I'm only here to take the piss out of you eco behave design at gmail.com or eco behavioral designs at Instagram and you get me or the Spartner at Instagram or the Spartner at Instagram Nap. And uh, you can get me on Twitter as well. I'm Mark M. James, although I'm taking a bit of a hiatus there. But uh, I probably will respond to any direct messages or something if they do come my way. Um, um, congratulations, Mark, on getting your PhD. I know you forgot the piece of paper, but you're finished the work and you're just waiting for the interview and, and the last few bits of pieces. So assuming that goes well, which it should, congratulations to you. Yeah, hopefully I'll be returning here as a doctor, Mark James. Or uh, Mark James, PhD, which I think sounds better. 
let the listeners decide. So that's the crack. And right. uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and um, See you on the mats. Breeding through your nose, loads of mouth tape. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if started a trend. You just see this thing like, who's the fucking uh, boys? Like, it's just one team just had all their mouths taped up all the way around. Just a shout outs to the intro and outro music. The band or group Michael at michael.shudder.music on Instagram. I think so, yeah. That's the uh, check them out. Michael the Burns is the name of the tune. You'd find it on YouTube. Shout out. Shout out Michael for for letting us use that. But a uh, great track. If you want to hear what, what goes, that's the, you hear the start and the end of the track on, on this podcast and in the intro and outro. If you want to find out what's in the middle, just jump on YouTube and you'll find that. But um, anyways, that's enough. Thank you. See you, see you all in uh, season two. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Eric. Love you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.